For children in poverty, life has always been hard. But the pandemic, war, and weather disasters have thrust families into a global food crisis. The hungry are even hungrier. When you sponsor a child through Compassion, you provide the food, clean water, and other support needed to make sure your child survives. Plus, with your love and encouragement, that child can grow and thrive. You can find out how and choose a child to sponsor when you click on the Compassion banner at ksbj.org. Since kindergarten, we are programmed to perform. Need handwriting? Gold star. Clean desk? Gold star. Straight line, finish your lunch, share your toys, raise your hand, gold stars. But we also learn early on, we aren't all gold star kids. Some of us just can't seem to stay in a straight line or remember to raise our hands or sit quietly. Some of us just never quite get all the rules right. Then or now. So what does that make the rest of us? Normal. I'm Kim Weir. This is the Art of Friendship podcast. Going to a new school every two years made me the perpetual new kid growing up. I'm not sure if you can relate, but I always felt like I was trying to catch up with what everybody else already knew. How to earn reading points, where to put my lunch tray, when was the bathroom break? About the time I felt I understood the system, we moved again and all the rules changed. There were no gold stars for me. I was always a bit chatty, easily distracted, hopelessly messy. At most, my achievement chart had the red and the green stars. And like Karen, who always had the gold stars. Thank goodness those days are long gone. But are they really ever? The truth is, for many of us, we are still on the hunt for the gold stars. That affirmation that we're doing it right, that we're approved, that we're accepted. That's perhaps especially true for Christians who seem to excel at turning the faith journey into an achievement chart. Go to church, gold star. Serve in the church nursery, gold star. Memorize scripture, gold star. Forgive, forget, agree, love, serve, show up, gold stars all around. Is that what the Christian life is really meant to be? If you find that you are not a gold star Christian, then there is some great news for you. God doesn't actually give out gold stars, and He doesn't keep an achievement chart. It's okay if we're a bit messy. In fact, if you feel a little bit like a crappy Christian, well, that's normal from time to time. What is not normal is not talking about it. Sharing the hard stuff, the messy places, the struggles, the areas where you just don't seem to be able to keep it in a straight line, that's where the real gold is found. When's the last time you talked with someone about feeling bitter? Who did you recently disappoint? When were you let down by the church? Who knows that you're struggling with anxiety and depression? Maybe it's time to stop wringing our hands about getting it right and focus on being honest about what's not always easy, what's sometimes confusing, that it's hard to be like Jesus on this Christian journey. Blake Guiget is that kind of honest. She knows what it feels like to struggle, to work hard at the checklist, only to somehow not quite get it right, and then wonder if she's enough. Blake is the host of the popular podcast, Confessions of a Crappy Christian, and the author of the book, Confessions of a Crappy Christian, real-life talk about things Christians aren't sure we're supposed to say and why they matter to God. Blake's message is simple. Embrace the truth that you can't do it all perfectly. Only then can you move past crappy into a deeper, freer, fuller walk with Jesus and with each other. Because that, that's where the real gold is. Let's talk to Blake. Blake. 
Hey, Blake, welcome. We're so glad to have you at the table at the Art of Friendship podcast. Yay. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Tell me a little bit about you and just the, your, your growing up and your what formed you. I would just love to know a little bit about that as we head into our conversation. Yeah. I'm so, like Southern Louisiana, born and bred. I've never lived anywhere else outside of a couple hundred miles. And uh, I grew up in a Christian home, but didn't. it really wasn't something I was super interested in uh, until I got to college and my relationship with God really formed and became my own and got married super young, had kids super young. So by the time I was 26, 27, 28, I had two kids and had been married for five years. And those are such formative years where you're really learning who you are. And sometimes I kind of think I almost did it like a little delayed because I did motherhood and marriage so early. And, you know, you're like kind of drowning in diapers and, (laughs) you know, babies. And I loved it and I would not change any of it for the world. But my 30th birthday present to myself was starting a podcast. So Confessions of a Crappy Christian was first was the title of my podcast. And that was kind of the beginning of this super wild ride of the last December. Next month will be four years of just showing up and talking about things that I wished other people were talking about and often couldn't find like honest you know, beyond surface level conversations about. And it's been an incredible, it's crazy. It's been a crazy four years. What What was that like? Tell me what that was like for you because you were raised in a Christian home, but not interested. Mm-hmm. And so let's look a little bit at how you fit those pieces together. I've often joking, not really jokingly, referred to myself as a megaphone amongst whispers in my family. I, my family is pretty quiet, pretty chill, not, you know, we're not arguing over the dinner table. And then I'm just like come out of nowhere and not sure really where I came from. But I have always been kind of different, not like in a I'm special, nobody's like me way, which is also true because God, (laughs) you know, does that really intimately. But I've always just kind of been different and louder and thought differently and seen things differently and had more opinions. And so I didn't fit in a lot of the environments that I was in. I didn't, I didn't, I had too many questions for youth group and pushed back on too much stuff, you know, and so that's kind of always been my experience. I'm, I have a lot of questions and it's not in an aggressive, like you have to answer these questions way. I just, I'm just curious. I just have a lot of questions. And as a younger person, the issue was that questions were really discouraged questions about faith and salvation. And why would God do this and not do this? And so I couldn't get a lot of those questions answered. So I just didn't really involve myself in it. And then it wasn't until I got into college and maybe around just different people where I was able to get some of those questions answered and was also appreciative of sometimes the answer was, I don't, there's not really a hard and fast answer to that. That's why you have to have faith. I respected that response over questions are wrong or here's the four point outline that will answer your question. Like, right. Here's the, the approved narrative or whatever. (laughs) And so, you know, I think that has carried on through the last, I guess 
almost 15 years of, of walking with Jesus. So I, I just, I, I'm just captured by that phrase, crappy Christian, because I mean, we've all felt like a crappy mom if we're moms. We go through that place. You know, we, we just do. We've all felt yeah. like a crappy spouse, a crappy daughter, you know, a crappy friend. We, we just all have. We have those seasons where we go, gosh, I didn't measure up to what I wanted to measure up to, or I didn't right. measure up to what I feel like other people wanted me to measure up to. And when I think about this phrase, crappy Christian, I mean, that's what comes to mind for me is I am not measuring up whether it is to this imaginary standard I had in my brain, whether it's the traditional church standard, whether it's even looking into God's word and saying, hey, there's a perfect standard here. And Mm -hmm. I don't measure up to that. I mean, there's so many ways, but it does imply this sense of measuring, evaluating, Mm -hmm. and coming up short. And I do think that is the experience of so many people on their faith journey, feeling like they are coming up short. That's kind of the crux of the issue is that you have this institution that should be drawing you closer to a Jesus who said, who who was very clear in neither do I judge you, go and sin no more. It was this give and take. It wasn't just perfection required of us. It was like, I love you where you are. I don't want you to stay there because I want better for you. It wasn't a checklist. It wasn't things you had to do to earn your way into his good graces or into his love. And the church by and large misses that a lot of the time. And I think unintentionally, you know, I think that it's an institution run by humans that we're human. We're not going to do it perfectly. I think there are a lot of ways that you get to experience and encounter the beauty of it done right. And we need to rejoice and, and spotlight those things. But the unwillingness to talk about the things that this culture can create that are negative, I think is part of how we've gotten an entire generation to where they are today that, you know, more people are walking away from their faith than ever before. And if they are keeping their faith, they're walking away from church. Like, why is that? Is it because this standard of perfection is what's being, you know, portrayed back to us that all of us are like, I I am never going to keep up with that realistically, I could maybe pretend I could maybe fake it and make it look like I'm keeping up, but I'm not going to be able to. And so therefore I'm not going to be good enough. So why try it all? And so that's kind of who this whole message is for is like, come as you are. Don't plan to stay that way, but like, you don't have to qualify your existence and just because you sin or struggle struggle differently than I do, the ground is even at the foot of the cross. Neither one is better or worse than the other. We're all like just trying, we're all trying to figure it out together. And there's empathy and compassion and love that's required to be able to see people that way. We all need a friend that will speak that into us. And we don't always we don't all have that friend. And mm-hmm. I think that's what you are for us today. You're that friend that's going to come alongside and say, yeah, that sucks. Yeah, I, I, I see that. But let's also think about this uh, or to frame things in a way that we hadn't considered uh, to cheer us on in those places where we're weak while we're still weak. I think that's right. maybe what's missing even amongst our friends is that we want to cheer each other on. You did great. Look how much progress you made right there. That spot is awesome. I want to be your cheerleader for that. And that's great, but we all need that friend that's sort of like, 
hey, I'm down in the mud with you. Let's talk about that. Exactly. That's who you get to be for us today. Yeah. I, I love, I usually use the term like in the trenches. We're in the trenches. We're we are figuring it out, and I'm going to be as honest as I'm capable of about my trenches, which hopefully gives you the space and capacity to be honest about yours. Let's talk about the, the muddy trenches, because um, our weaknesses are something, it's, it's funny because Scripture talks about, you know, that, that our weaknesses are okay. That's mm-hmm. where God works. He's not waiting for us to become super Christian, and yet that is what we want. We kind of, we try to diminish our weaknesses. I had a work meeting this week and I'm like, okay, that is, yeah, that's my strength. That's my strength. That's my strength. Can we just pause for a minute? I want to share with you my weaknesses because you're going to find out about them sooner or later. Let me just lay out where this is going to be stretching for me and I'm going to have to grow and it's not a natural fit. We don't really do that necessarily on a faith basis about that. Um, so let's talk about our weaknesses and how do we see them from a viewpoint of authenticity? As you said, no, but we don't want to glorify our weaknesses. Um, but how do we approach them in a way that helps us see them as Christ sees them so that we can quit making them the big issue? Well, Paul talks, Paul's instruction is to boast in our weaknesses. He is essentially the poster child for advertising your weaknesses. But it's, I think what it comes down to is motivation. I think we've all seen or encountered someone talking about their, their weaknesses and it just didn't feel right. It felt maybe a little, uh, like they were qualifying them that they weren't sorry. Like it was just, this is the way that I am take it or leave it. And that's not what we see exemplified in scripture either. What you see is, Paul saying, I have had this thorn in my flesh for however long, and it's not just an annoyance, it is a burden, and I have made the decision to boast in that so that you can see how good God is, so that you can see how perfect his power is, that even in my weakness, he can do it. He can make his name great using a broken vessel. And that's really uncomfortable like to get that familiar with your weaknesses to the point where you are willing to get like make them public facing and say, this is where I drop the ball. And it is, this is how God swoops in and saves the day every single time. And so I, you know, that verse, you know, my grace is sufficient for you. Therefore, I will boast all the more in my weakness. That is the cornerstone of where Crappy Christian actually came from. And I still, every single day, am like, I don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's uncomfortable. I'd rather, can we just talk about the things that I'm really good at? Like, that's way better. But I think that that is how you end up in a situation where you have this perfect essentially facade of Christianity reflected back to you. And then you end up, you're just stuck in this spiral where you never feel good enough. I think if more leaders and more people would be honest that they struggle and that that is weakness and that doesn't disqualify them, I think we'd all be a little bit better off. It's such a trap in another way too. I mean, this whole idea of 
focusing only on and, and embracing only the places where I am walking in the Spirit, I'm walking like Christ, then convinces us subliminally, and then it becomes you know overt that we are, it is something in us that makes us worthy. It is exactly. something in us that made God pick us. He saw, he saw what I could do. He picked me because, and all then of this um, works-based theology, you know, yeah. actually it starts becoming part of who out. we are. You know, yep. I, I do, therefore I am, not I am, therefore I do. And exactly. so the more we focus on diminishing the reality of, you know, just being a crappy human. I mean, this is why he came, because we're crappy humans. If we were righteous humans, Jesus would not have needed to go to the cross. Uh, yeah. And so it's just funny that the very thing that we know we need, a Savior to save us from being crappy, is the very thing that we begin to deny when we try to measure up to this thing and start thinking that it was all about what we did in the first place. Anyway, it's this vicious cycle is all I'm it saying. It is. And I think a lot of people aren't aware that they're even stuck in the cycle because there are so many voices around them encouraging it or perpetuating it, I would be, have been stuck in that cycle before. And it's re, it's a really easy tornado to get sucked into, yeah. you know, especially if you're a high achiever or you're, you know, you have dreams and goals, you get s- swept into that hustle culture. And the next thing you know, you have fully connected your worth to your productivity. And you're like, oh, wait, no. <laughs> That's not right. I wait, hold on, wait, we gotta undo this, you know? And but even that, like that is a weakness. There's a weakness of being, of having a propensity to finding your worth in your productivity. And that yeah. is a weakness yeah. that you can be willing to boast in and say, this is my default. I am gonna fall back on. I jokingly will say, I'll, I'll say, not only do I deserve a seat at the table, I bought the table. Like I built this table, you know, like that'll be where my brain goes. That doesn't honor God, like hustling to get my worth and love and feel anything is not God's design. That's a weakness of mine, but I'm going to boast in it so that other women and other people can see it in their selves and avoid it and get out of it. And that's kind of, that's the cycle I want to be in. So there is a difference, probably worth delineating, when we think about this idea of, hey, I can boast in my weaknesses, which means basically I can, let's start with acknowledging them. <laughs> so right, right. Getting, bring him out, I'm out, I'm coming out of the closet. My weaknesses are coming out. Yeah. Um, but there is a difference between that, weak, those weaknesses, and say, boasting in my rebellion or my sin. Right. You know, I can't, right. can't stop myself. And Paul, one of the things Paul said is, hey, if great God's grace is great, should I just sin more so that I can show how great God's grace really is? I mean, it'll really show what a great guy he is if I yeah. show how much he just keeps forgiving and forgiving. And of course, Paul's answer to that is absolutely not. No. There's yeah. a difference between boasting in this that our humanity that is is incomplete and broken and brokenness of sin that right. we just keep giving into. Yeah, I mean, it it can be a very nuanced conversation. We, as people, are not great at nuance. We're just not. And so we see the one thing and just call it wrong and call it bad. And then we also put that on other people. So we say, I can't, like, I don't drink wine. I have a specific conviction, so you shouldn't either. 
And I think that's a really important aspect of this conversation because it can get very spec versus log when we are spending our time worried about other people's convictions instead of our own in this conversation. That has been like the biggest thing that I've seen. I can show up online and say, be honest in my weaknesses. Let's talk about mental health. I do, I don't get five. I don't get gold stars for my mental health. I have struggled uh, since I was a kid. I am forever trying to find new ways to be better. And it is my thorn in the side. It is the thing that I am constantly asking God, are you sure I have to do that? Can, can you take this one? I don't need this one, right? Like I'd be so much more effective if I didn't have anxiety. But I can talk about that and I can still get messages about that from people that my, my anxiety is a result of sin because maybe their experience with anxiety comes from fear and doubt and therefore is a result of sin. And so what I would love to see Christians do is show up and be honest about the things that you feel the Holy Spirit and the Father leading you to be honest about. You have to come to that conversation with the expectation that there are people out there that are going to try to turn it on its head and make it something against you that it's not. But I think this conversation, I think that that's what holds people back from this conversation is the fear of retribution and the fear of judgment and the fear of what if people think I'm just saying you can just sin and, you know, like, you know your heart. Why don't we trust the Holy Spirit in other people as much as we trust him in ourselves? And I think that that would allow nuance to enter the conversation because that is the most frequent response that I get when I talk about this is, well, like, we can't just like let people go, like go on sinning. No, that's not what I'm encouraging. You have, I promise, never seen me show up in any media platform and be like, I mean, just do whatever you want. Like sin is subjective. It's fine. Like never. What I am saying is we're all convicted differently. We all struggle differently. We all have different weaknesses. And if you would, I think if all of us collectively would focus on that versus what everybody else is struggling with, the world would be a better place. Well, thanks for just helping bring some balance to that conversation, because I think that word weakness can feel all encompassing. So Mm -hmm. what is it that God's saying, this is good, I can work with this. (laughs) And what is it that God's saying, this is how you are. I've given you a way of escape. I'm here with you to move you forward. This is where I just think having a group of trusted friends is so valuable. And and by trusted, I really just mean safe, where it can be safe. They don't need to have the answers, but I need to have a place. And it's probably going to be amongst other people who are struggling with their own crap. Yeah. (laughs) I I, I mean, I I want people who are mature and maturing. Maybe that's the word. I want people who are maturing so that I can mature along with them. Um, But man, that just is, is so powerful to have a group where you can jump in the midst of it and you can say those things and know that you're safe from condemnation and I hope safe from being quote unquote fixed. You know, nobody right. wants to be fixed. Right. One of the things that I talk about a lot is relational currency. Explain that. I use the analogy of like a bank, right? So you cannot withdraw from an account that you have never deposited into. And I think there are a lot of people walking around 
trying to withdraw from people that they have never deposited into. And and it's very difficult to have a positive response to someone who is just telling you what they see wrong in your life and has never told you what they see right. And that's where relationship comes in, where exactly what you're saying, when you're having these conversations around your kitchen table with people that you love and trust who have walked through hard times with you and held your arms up, who have dropped off meals, who have encouraged you, who have called out your strengths, then when they do see something in your life that maybe has taken a turn from weakness into sin or you see it as weakness and maybe you're qualifying it as something, but it's really holding you back from the fullness of experiencing Christ. When they speak that into that situation, they're not with, they're not withdrawing on zero. They are, that is a withdrawal. Like it is difficult to hear those kinds of things about yourself. But if you're hearing it from someone that's pouring into you, how much more receptive are you likely to be to hearing that? How much more do you trust them that they're not just trying to get a shot in, but they love you because they've proven that? And that is something that I practice in my relationships really intentionally now is I want to earn the right to sit across from you and tell you that I'm worried about you and it not... You not it not even occur to you that there may be ulterior motives that I'm trying to hurt you. Like I want that to be the purest form of love I am, cap- am capable of, and I do that by loving people well every day. Somebody's listening to this and they're like, "Gosh, I've been a crappy friend. I have in my love for them either over communicated about what they need to quote unquote do, uh, or I've not been a good listener, or I've just." spouted Bible verses at them, whatever that is, whatever they're feeling right now. And they know it's sort of like, okay, I kind of missed the mark there. It's true. Uh, And yet friendship is really, it's the linchpin of life for so many of us. What would be your encouragement to the friend who feels like, yeah, I've been missing the mark. I haven't, I haven't been that friend for somebody else in that way. I think like honesty really is always the best policy. I would I've actually been in that situation more from a place of distraction than intention, but there is so much power in sitting face-to-face with someone and owning the ways that you know you have dropped the ball. I've, I've gotten to experience the power of doing that and also having it done in relationship towards me. And if you've got two even relatively healthy people, I really think all that does is strengthen a relationship. Uh, Apology and changed behavior is like steroids for a relationship. Like it just takes it to the next (coughs) level. And so I would, if if you're feeling convicted about that, if you're hearing what we're saying and you're like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I've done those things. I would make a point, reach out to your friend and ask if you can hang out and sit in front of them and say, hey, I, in my love for you, have been more focused on the things I think you could do better than the things that you're really great at. And I want to be better about that. And I hope that you can like forgive me, ask for forgiveness, and then actually change the changed behavior is going to be what is the real apology and what makes a real impact in the end. And I tell people I have alerts in my phone. I am the ADHD stereotype. I am not uh, naturally 
incredibly intentional. And so I have like my friends' names in my calendars every couple of weeks to just check in with them and just, hey, I was thinking about you. How can I pray for you? I love that because that kind of circles back to what we were saying. Hey, it's helpful to know your weaknesses. How do I, knowing that I can get self-absorbed or just, you know, not curious, fail to be the kind of friend people need, a present friend? Oh, I know. I could put I could put that in my phone. Well, if I deny that I even struggle with that, you know, that it weaknesses not only can glorify God by showing his strength, they actually can be our friend. They actually can help us. Hundred percent. When we acknowledge them, um, a lot of the hurt that Christians in particular feel as they have struggled to figure out what it means to be a Christian in the 21st century, a lot of the hurt they've experienced has actually come from the church with other people who are also trying to figure it out, who didn't do a very good job. Um, And so you've got, you know, this got this collision of the perfect storm, you know, messed up people, messing up, messed up people. Um, right. All in the name of Jesus, <laughs> so, um, and and yet, um, you know, in some ways, it's inevitable. I know we feel like we can feel like it's unique. Like I was wounded in the church, and you know, it's it's rare, and nobody else has, has ever done that. And of course, the fallout of that is often walking away from the church. I'm a Christian, but right. I don't need church. We right. hear that a lot. I have an online yeah. community, or I. You know, I I have a devotional book. I don't need the church. And how do you, I mean, how do we fit all that back together to speak honestly into someone who that is their true experience, and yet that's kind of a crappy place to stay? It is. Yeah, I think the first thing you have to lead with empathy, you have to lead with understanding This conversation is so tender as someone who has experienced a lot of hurt at the hand of church, the institution, and the people that make it, you know, put it together and make it up. uh, There are a lot of people out there that have every good reason to not become involved in another church. And I think there are some people that just need to hear that. They need to hear, I I get it. I wouldn't want to go to church if I was you either. Like, I, I... I wouldn't want to put myself back out there to get hurt again. I I would have a lot of trouble trusting authority after what you've been through. The understanding and then coming at it from a place of biblical compassion, like biblically, I don't know, backed up compassion of I see you, I hear you, I agree with you, but let's look at what God has to say about it. And... Scripture is really clear about the importance of gathering together and the power that can be found in corporate worship and church. And I think what I typically lead with with people is I think the only person that loses when you completely remove yourself from community is yourself. And I think that probably feels like an, an a win to the enemy as well, because if he can keep you isolated, if he can keep you from like corporate worship and corporate learning, that that's that's a win. I don't know if it's me like you're being demonic or you're like, you know, <laughs> Satan is winning. It's just like there are things that are valid that the enemy is going to try to use yeah. in any way to make you less effective for the kingdom. And so... My husband and I left a church that we helped start um, due to 
deep hurt and betrayal. And my husband's response was, I don't know if I'll ever get her back in a church again, referring to me. And there was a hot minute where that was kind of the the route that I, I was like, I don't want to do this again. This is this is gross. This is messy. This hurt. I feel like I'm bleeding out all over the place. Why? Like, I just I don't want to do this. And but kind of had to come to my own conviction of I know that this is better. I know that being involved is better. I'm going to take what I've learned from this crappy situation and try to make this next experience better. And so we got plugged in with another church not long after we left that other one. And I wouldn't have it any other way. But I think so often people come to the conversation and they invalidate the pain, they invalidate the the trauma, they invalidate where they're struggling. They're just like, you need to get back in church. Right. That doesn't work either. Because <laughs> it's like starting with the right answer rather than going to the journey toward God's best. Exactly. Like, and, and I'm a I'm a girl, I'm a problem solver. I'm a fixer. You tell me your problem, I got the answer. Why do we need to go through the middle part? <laughs> like yeah. I, I have your answer for you. I have to that is my that is both my great strength and my great weakness. Yeah. Relationally, it is a great weakness because people don't come to you to say Hey, I don't, you know, I'm so lazy. I don't even want to go on the journey of life. You just give me the right answer. Just tell me. <laughs> yeah, just, right. So few people feel that way. I wish they <laughs> right. would because I'd be shining. <laughs> so, and so it's learning how to rein that in and say, in this case, a crappy friend would be one that doesn't respect the fact that you need to move through this the way you need to move through this. Right. And that my role, as opposed to coming with the right answer, is to walk with you toward the healthy place God wants you to get. Um, yeah. that, that can be hard. So we've talked to the person who is the friend of somebody, to the one who is where you were, who's just like, mm, I know the right answer. I know the right answer. The right answer is don't forsake meeting together. I get that. And if you can get all the people to leave, that's all I'm going to do. Right, exactly. <laughs> I got no problem with the building. Turn on the yeah. air conditioning, we're all good. I'll be fine. So uh, talk to that person who has been hurt and is left in that hard place, but knows the right answer, but doesn't want to get out of that place because the hard place they're in feels preferable to the harder place of going to the right answer. How do you encourage them? Because you've been there. I kind of gave a little bit of an outline of how to walk through this from my own experience. Great. I kind of gave like, um, I love me some steps. Give me some action steps. Uh, And so the first one was like welcoming Jesus in. I think a lot of the time we try to keep God out of the ugly and the messy because we think he doesn't want to get down in it with us when the reality is he already is. And, And that may be just me, but I sometimes struggle to let God into the the things that I can't perfectly put into order. Um, and so the first thing is like, talk to God about the fact that you don't want to go to church. Talk to God about the fact that his kids hurt you. He understands every single thing you're going through. Talk to him about it and be willing to like hear back 
from him. And then I also advise people to take time off. Like, I don't think that there's anything wrong with taking time to heal and to process and to figure out like what, what went wrong, where, and what would I have done differently? What do I hope people, other people would have done differently? And I'm not saying you have to take that time off, but I think I do think that it can be beneficial because reflection. it can allow you right a, cha- a chance can, of reflection just as instead of just barreling ahead without exactly. seeing because reflection, as we always say here, what you find out is there's a lot of self owning and awareness that has to happen even when you are mostly the one who receives yes. the wrong. I mean, yes. there's always going to be your part. So reflection, no, hundred percent. Take time off, but don't become an island. That is my go-to is to, I call it hermit mode, (laughs) and I'm going to (laughs) shut out everything and everyone uh, that I can, and that is so unbeneficial. (laughs) Like, it's the opposite of what, of how God instructed us to process and to heal and to grow, Uh, and so it's kind of being able to hold both in your hands of Yes, I can rest, I can reflect, I can heal, but I'm not going to stay this way forever. I'm not going to stay here forever. And even if you do feel like God is asking you to take time off from, you know, the capital C church or from corporate worship, do that with people. Like welcome people into that. Tell them how you're feeling. Tell them what you're processing and, and, you know, just you can't make yourself an island in the process. And then I do suggest that people find new community and be willing, like be willing and open to that. It's probably going to look different from what you're coming from. Like if you are leaving a situation, our brains get really comfortable in what we know. But, you know, I have a lot of friends who have left really big mega churches and gone to house churches. There is not a bigger change in, in worship than that, but it's what they needed so I think we have to be open to things looking differently in our new experiences. At the end of the day, what that says is there's a path back. Right. doesn't have to be a leap. Uh, don't have to drop in parachuting. But there, right. there's a path. There's a path back. And you won't take it alone. And goodness, how I pray that you would have a friend who would patiently, even if they stayed where you left, Right. Who would patiently come alongside of you and help you um, process that journey um, and and speak of that and work out and give you honest feedback if you ask for it. And there's the key, if you ask for it, right? Right. Um, and I think that brings us to, there's so many things we could talk about because you tackle so much that we need to look at from a more authentic view rather than the the five-point outline view, yeah, everything right. from friendship to sex to you know, community to, to whatever, all of that you tackle. And I'm, I'm appreciative that you do because you're just that honest friend who's just going to say it like it is. And, and yeah. I love that. We need that. We need that. One of the things that is at the center point of Christian identity is the idea of forgiveness. Hmm. If we're a really good Christian, then my first reaction is always going to be, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. And I'm just going to lay it out there. Biblically, there's nothing wrong with knowing that forgiveness is God's command. And, right. and not just for a few things. 
he's clear. We we forgive, period. We forgive. It's it's who yeah. we are. It's what we do. It's how the world knows who he is. That's a very simplistic view, though. And to not be able to automatically do that, I don't think there's anything that makes us feel more like a crappy Christian than to say, I feel bitter, resentful, hurt. No, I'm not going to forgive. Yes, I want vengeance. <laughs> like, yeah, know, all of those things, all of those emotions that are real, which is funny because we know it's about how we feel about the other person. And yet that all boomerangs back on us. Yeah. And just the sense of shame and unworthiness at not being there is hard. So when it comes to wrestling with forgiveness as a real person of faith, right? <laughs> what do we need to know that's different there? What frees us up to actually just call ourselves Christian in that perspective? I think a lot of the problem comes from how we define forgiveness. I think we've kind of conglomerated a couple of things and said that forgiveness is also forgetting and it's also restoration and it's also it's also all these things when it's not not it's not in scripture it's not in any worldly definition of forgiveness it's not all of those things either but we've taken verses like 70 times you know forgiving 70 times 7 or turn the other cheek or bearing one another's burdens and made it equate we don't have boundaries we put up with everything we become a christian doormat and so when you're giving people that kind of definition of forgiveness i think the only logical fruit of that is bitterness and wanting your own revenge and not wanting to let it go and it and it festering and then becoming something it never needed to be in the first place when if we would come back to the true definition and action of forgiveness, it's giving someone an A when they've earned an F. It's I release you from responsibility, which is hard. I release you from the responsibility of what you have done. 100% agree with that. Where I think we get it wrong is to say, I release you from this responsibility and I'm going to let you continue to act this way. I release you from this responsibility and nothing is going to change about our relationship. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to put up any boundaries. I'm not going to say goodbye. I'm not going to like, I'm just going to let things continue the way they are. That isn't love either. You know, if, if we look at the biblical definition of love, it's patient and it's kind and it, you know, keeps no record of wrongs and all of these things is the other person behaving that way too. Like, is the other person in a relationship, are they loving you well too? Or is it just love, 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 forgiveness, 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 and then crap coming back at you? Um, I have, in the last four years, had three really big relationships fall out. And it was really hard and really sad. And I really struggled to forgive these people because I felt like it was giving them a free pass because I felt like it was saying, if I forgive you, it means what you did is okay. Because I thought that that was what was required of me. And it wasn't until I did a lot of therapy and worked through it a lot and processed it that I realized that I could release them from what they had done and still keep boundaries 
in order to protect myself from it happening again. So I think it comes down to we've gotten our definition of forgiveness a little wonky and people don't know what to do with that. Which really kind of points me back. So that was my final question. This is my final, final question. (laughs) That really kind of points us back to the source for those definitions, the source for that truth. We have a tortured, as Christians, we can have a tortured relationship with the Bible, with the Word Mm -hmm. of God. And that, of course, then can give us a lot of guilt as well. But to say that, well, look, if, if, if you have a tortured relationship with the Bible and it's just a challenge for you, you know what? Just walk away from it. It's okay. You've got Jesus, just walk away from it. That is an that is an answer. I'm not even gonna call it that is an answer. Unfortunately, it does not provide us with the source of truth and life that we need. And so right. how do let's just say me and Bible had falling out. <laughs> so we don't understand each other and yeah. we need a reconciliation. What does that look like for somebody that really feels like, you know, I'm a substandard Christian because I just don't have a really vibrant relationship with the Bible. I think a lot of what we're seeing is people who don't have a great relationship with their Bible because they're trying to let somebody else or something else be their Bible. Like nothing can be your Bible except for the Bible, an Instagram influencer, a podcast, even a devotional. Like those things are not the word of God. And we're also not very well trained in how to study it or read it or exegete it. Like we were, we're just kind of like fumbling around with it. That was the first 10 ish years of my relationship with God was like, I don't know what to do with this. And there's like a lot of really long names and like, why is everybody dying? Like there's a lot of murder in the old Testament. <laughs> like, do I still have to keep all of these like 613 laws or am I like, am I, am I, it was just, very confusing, especially for someone who is curious. And so I got really serious about my ability to read and understand and interpret scripture. And then I could actually apply it to my life. And then it didn't feel like this big looming thing. It was something that I could go to and read and understand and carry into my life. And also I stopped letting other people tell me what my Bible said and started making sure it was there for myself. For the person who has no clue how to even start there, what would you suggest? Shameless plug. I have a, I actually created a course. It's called Bible Boot Camp, And it takes you through like my favorite ways to study scripture, really like simplified and kind of stripped down for the everyday person. Outside of that, I always suggest a good commentary is helpful to kind of start getting your feet under you because it comes alongside scripture. It's like, it's a supplement rather than a replacement. And I always tell people to, to start in Romans. Romans is my favorite place to tell people to start. That's a very unusual suggestion. I don't hear that yeah, too often. Yeah, it's my favorite. It's grace. It's a really clear, like one of the most clear pictures we get of grace and law and how the two interact. And and it's full of hope. It's It's where I tell people to start all the time. Final encouragement for the person who just feels like I haven't been measuring up. This conversation has encouraged me. I really want to embrace my faith without the baggage. Your last thoughts for them. Uh, I would say that it is as simple as shifting your gaze from whatever has been holding your attention to fully like letting Jesus be that. It is not a checklist. It is not a a to-do list. It is... Hey, Jesus, 
I've kind of gotten this a little, a little wonky. Let's do this together. And he's, he's all in on that. There is no better description than that. Jesus is all in. Think of all the people who came to him and he never turned away. The lepers who no one else would touch, Jesus reached out. The woman whose son lay dead, the soldier whose servant was dying, the woman who was bleeding, the one caught in adultery, in the very act of adultery, the little man that no one else could see, the confused religious leader, or the woman shacking up with the man who replaced her fifth husband. There wasn't a gold star person in the bunch, and yet Jesus was all in. For everyone who came to him, he reached out, he became part of their lives, he intersected them right where they are, he took them right where they were. Jesus doesn't give out gold stars, but he gives himself, he gives truth, he gives grace, and he gives hope. That is the message of the Bible, and it's been so encouraging to hear Blake share that message with us today. Blake Guiget, Confessions of a Crappy Christian, real-life talk about all the things Christians aren't sure we're supposed to say and why they matter to God. I hope you'll pick up a copy and maybe check out her podcast, Confessions of a Crappy Christian. My suggestion for Friend Foray this week is be honest with someone. Invite someone for coffee and just tell them where you're feeling like a crappy Christian. Tell them where you're feeling that you're not really that gold star girl or that gold star guy. Just be honest with where you're struggling and let someone in. And in letting them in, you might just find they need to share too. That's where the real gold is. That's where the best stuff is. When we share life together, we really talk about the things that are true and authentic, and we pursue being like Jesus together on the journey. The best conversations just might begin with a little bit of confession. I'm really glad that you spent some time with us. Hey, as we head into a new year, I want to let you know that I've got a new book out, and I would love for you to maybe think about getting a copy for yourself, and it also makes a great gift for others. It's a 365-day devotional called Everyday God, Finding Hope and Help in the Daily Presence of God. This Everyday Devotional is your invitation to experience a day-by-day, moment-by-moment dynamic relationship with your Creator and your Savior. Starting with just 10 minutes every day, you can step into God's presence where you will begin to desire what He desires and praise His name and seek His wisdom and experience His joy and live in His hope as you dive into His Word. The book is designed for both the men and women, and every day includes a question meant to draw you into a conversation with God so that you can experience that deeper, richer, more authentic relationship of growing to get to know Him in a personal way. I hope you'll check it out. Order your copy today. It's called The Everyday God, Finding Hope and Help in the Daily Presence of God. You can order yours at Amazon.com, and of course, it's Prime eligible, so you'll have it pretty quick. All right, my lovelies, thanks so much for spending time with us. God bless you and keep you. And until we're together again next time, remember, keep friending with purpose.